0: Welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 64. I'm Kip Clark.
1: And I'm Caroline Borders.
0: And today we're going to be talking about the recent Paris attacks, which at the time of this recording happened four or five days ago and will release about a week and a half after the event. So to run down some of the basic facts for those who might not know, the attacks occurred Friday, November 13th at 9.20 p.m. in Paris and began with explosions outside the Stade de France with three suicide bombings during which France was playing Germany in a soccer game inside the stadium. Afterwards, eight terrorists initiated attacks on five separate sites within Paris. Terrorists held hostage and killed 89 people at an American concert within Paris. The official death toll at this point is 129. There are 352 wounded and 99 are in critical condition. Officials also confirmed that five of the eight terrorists were French-born, four of whom were living in Belgium, and in response, the French president, Francois Hollande, retaliated with two focused bombings, one on November 15th, in which 12 aircraft dropped 20 bombs and destroyed all ISIS targets, and later on November 17th, France targeted a command center, a recruitment center, an ammunition storage base, and a training camp although ISIS had withdrawn many forces from these areas in anticipation of the retaliation, so mostly resources and buildings were destroyed. And it's also worth noting that the day prior to the 13th, On the 12th, 41 were killed and 200 were wounded by similar bombings in Beirut, also at the hands of ISIS. And so part of our discussion today will focus on the vast media coverage of Paris and France as opposed to what happened in Beirut and in other areas of the world. However, a large part of our conversation today is also going to focus on the response to the Paris attacks and how social media and people have made it an event of sorts and publicized it. One statement I wanna make, Caroline, that I would love your response to, and of course our listeners, is that I feel those in Paris, the 129, and of course the 352 wounded, were victims of these attacks at the hands of ISIS, but I would contend they weren't the targets I think in many ways the attacks, which were of course focused and planned and were not simply random, they were orchestrated by ISIS, were meant as violent acts. But I also think ISIS as a group is very intelligent and knows what it's doing. I think it's a threat, but I also think it would be foolish not to acknowledge that they have a vast network of social media informants and participants around the world, really, and I think that's one reason ISIS is so threatening. But to me, ISIS's target in these attacks and in others is publicity, is mass media and those who read them, because they know that the New York Times and various other very high-level media outlets are going to publish these stories. And one aspect of terrorism is, of course, fear and instilling that fear in the populace, whether it's the global population or the population of a specific nation or state. And I think ISIS is only helped by the story spreading, by making people like myself watch videos and read about these horrific events, because then people like me and others are afraid as a result of learning. So I'd be curious to hear what you think about the targets not being those in Paris, but rather those who will hear about these events in Paris.
1: I think you're absolutely right. I think the target was the West. France specifically, and I think there's a real danger in some ways in acknowledging that because I believe wholeheartedly that ISIS's goal is divisiveness and to create divisions to spur conflict. I mean, if you look back at 9-11, and this is a quote from Hamilton Nolan's article on Gawker following the Charlie Hebdo attacks last January, his article called Terrorism Works, He said the attacks of September 11th were a spectacular success. Is there any other honest interpretation? They were a success not because of the Americans they killed that day, but because we chose to spend the next decade mired in hopeless, counterproductive global wars that cost us trillions of dollars and killed thousands more Americans and hundreds and thousands of innocent civilians. Terrorists wanted to show the world that we were brutal and unjust, and we did our best to help them do that. Terrorists wanted a war, and we gave them one, and we lost. We lost by giving them the stupid, fearful, angry response that they wanted. And that perfectly sums up exactly what ISIS also wanted. Prior to the 9-11 attacks... Almost 15 years ago now, Al-Qaeda wanted a U.S. attack on Afghanistan, and due to 9-11, it succeeded. I think there is a huge danger in buying into what ISIS wants and not taking this time to grieve and instead making this a politicized issue. I mean, Newt Gingrich directly following the attacks, and same with Donald Trump, both made comments about how none of the victims had guns and that had they had guns, they would have been able to defend themselves politicizing the tragedy that this attack was. And also, it's kind of a ludicrous statement. These were bombings. They couldn't have done anything had they had guns.
0: Right. And I also think you're astute in talking about what ISIS wants, because on one hand, what I said earlier about publicizing these stories is part of what ISIS wants. But I also think, as others have argued, ISIS wants the world to become anti-Islamic and to find fear in the Muslim population, the vast majority of which is peaceful and has no intention of pursuing radical and terrorist motivations or paths. But ISIS wants social fragmentation, As I think we're both alluding to. And to be honest, they chose France as a target, I would contend, because France has a history of disagreement with its Islamic population. And I think that when you find a nation on the brink of conflict between two or more sides, if you light a fuse, you are likely to start a larger conflict there. And that's what ISIS wants, similar to racial conflict here in America. I think ISIS can see the social weaknesses in countries like france and that's problematic and also leads to such ridiculous responses to populations and american states now i think there are 16 american states as of us recording that say they refuse syrian refugees which indicates the tremendous misinformation surrounding all of this that the syrian refugees are refugees because of the civil war in Syria and because of factions like ISIS, and they are fleeing those sites of combat and those sites of devastation and terrorism and they themselves are not terrorists. But of course, because one of the terrorists in these bombings in Paris was found with a Syrian ID, because he had been either born in Syria or had some legitimate tie to Syria, it's so easy to then say all of these bombers are Syrian, all members of ISIS are Islamic, and to make unnecessary conflations that frankly simplify and oversimplify the story of what's actually going on. And it's so unfair that refugees who are fleeing this conflict are actually the ones blamed for what's going on. And to me, there's a very problematic tie historically to what happened in World War II, when the US, for fear of being brought into the war, refused Jewish refugees fleeing Europe. And I worry that similarly, we are on the brink of a larger conflict And I'm very embarrassed to say that our country or states within our country refuse to take Syrian refugees who are just like anyone else, looking to live, looking to survive, to build families, to work.
1: And looking to escape ISIS. Exactly. Which I think there's a huge issue with in this country right now, conflating ISIS and Islam. A quote from an article by Omid Safi, who speaks directly about this problem. He says, ISIS is about as Muslim as the KKK is Christian. In so many responses to these attacks, many of which were filled with prayers for the victims and the victims' families, there was also many hateful comments about Islam. One of them from Franklin Graham being on Twitter, Islam is at war with us. ISIS has said American blood is best and we will take it soon. Directly there, there is an essentialization of the Muslim world as them being against The West, the West in which there are so many Muslims who live normal, peaceful lives. And I think once more it's just elaborating on this fear that people have of outside forces and this general xenophobia that has started to spread throughout the US and the West for reasons that these terrorist groups enjoy.
0: I agree. And I want to talk about the responses to fear as necessary components in terrorism, because terrorism, as far as I can tell, is not likely to go anywhere until those who suffer from it prove to terrorists that it is not an effective means of communication, of manipulation, of persuasion, of any forms of coercing a larger state or a people to respond in a specific way. And as a human being, I'm particularly proud of the Parisian response, because as soon as the attacks happened. Many taxis turned off their meters to get people home for free. They needed to transport people, and they did so. People lined up to donate blood very immediately. And there's a hashtag. Caroline, how would you pronounce it?
1: Porte the open door.
0: Meaning that those who traced this hashtag and those who were typing this hashtag would open their doors in Paris, welcoming strangers into their homes to try and keep them safe. To me, that's one of the most powerful human responses, one of the most powerful emotional responses, because you don't know who you're welcoming into your home. And I would argue that even on a normal day in America, if someone knocked on your door and asked to come in, I feel like in our American culture, we wouldn't welcome strangers into our home, crisis or not. And to me, it's really powerful that anyone would respond that way. And I think it says a lot about the Parisian resilience or the French resilience to this act of terrorism.
1: I would contend, though, that in a time of crisis, overall adherence to humanitarian gestures does shift in the way towards being more humanitarian. That's fair. Not devaluing at all in any way the efforts that these Parisians did to ameliorate the situation as it happened. But I think the U.S. would probably react similarly in this situation as well.
0: I'm glad you think that way. Perhaps I'm being a bit too pessimistic.
1: But I think there is another danger in making this about humanity. Obama's statement regarding the attacks said, once again, we've seen an outrageous attempt to terrorize innocent civilians. It's an attack not just on the people of France, but this is an attack on all of humanity and the universal values that we share. Do you have a response to that, Kip?
0: Yes, I think it's fascinating when we try to conceptualize, as a species of 7.8 billion spread so far around the world, a single entity. And I am personally of the belief that we're not so different from our fellow humans elsewhere on the globe, but I don't know that anyone can presume to know what other people believe or feel. And while I might personally find us to be connected as human beings, I don't know that it's fair to call this an attack on humanity, because that presumes, first of all, that the West is representative of humanity, which is not true, and also that human beings were killed and attacked, but not All of us were killed and attacked. And I think Obama's statement could also reflect any act of violence. And of course, Obama isn't saying this about killings in urban areas of America or smaller events in terms of the quantity of those affected. So I don't think it's a fair thing to say. I know that as a politician, he has an obligation to make statements like that. But again, I do think it points to a Western focus that is very unfair to those we aren't considering.
1: Exactly. And it makes me question why a similar statement isn't put out every time an atrocity like this happens. Like in Beirut just a few days prior or in Kenya last April when 150 people were killed at a university in Kenya. And I honestly can't agree with him that we share all these values the values that america shares happen to be very exclusionary as we've seen with how we're treating syrian refugees or how donald trump talks about immigrants in this country even in france with the values of the enlightenment those were exclusionary towards basically anyone who wasn't french it was a french nationalist movement I can't applaud him in that sense. And then as well in France, there's movements in more conservative regions of France that are very anti-Muslim as well right now.
0: And it's not only France, of course. In Canada, there was a burning of a mosque deliberately set fire to because of Islamophobia. And in France, La Sayed, who is 17, was interviewed by the New York Times and said, the concern among Muslims in France is palpable. We're already feeling the backlash. It started right away. And her family was gathered on Sunday near Bataclan Concert Hall, where, of course, the 89 people were killed on Friday to pay respect for the victims. And she said, there was a flood of violent language on Facebook. Facebook to kill Muslims. And of course, people are very vocal often about their fears and their concerns. And I understand as an emotional being that those things can take hold of you, but it's very problematic to allow those emotions to drive action and to cause people to act in a certain way. And now that Facebook has been mentioned, Caroline, I want to talk about the temporary profile picture trend that we've seen, which to share my thoughts briefly, I find it too easy. I think when you show your sympathy for other people, there should be an effort you should have to drive to a cemetery, for example, and spend time actually grieving, sacrificing something of yourself in a way, even if it's only the resource of time, to show your respect for those lost, for those mourning, for those suffering. And I just find it too easy to apply a translucent filter over an image. One, that you didn't create in Photoshop or another program, which might not change anything, but especially that it's distributed via Facebook, this company, this corporation, which I'm sure might have empathetic company values at heart, but it is still a company. I don't like to be told what to value and what to believe. Let's say for some reason I was pro-Paris attacks, I wouldn't want a company to tell me That I can't feel that way. And I am, of course, not pro these attacks, but still, I will not change my profile picture to something like this because it feels, as I've already said now three times, just too easy.
1: For me, it really evokes the commodity of suffering, where like giving $2 to a starving child in Africa, and there I'm purposefully essentializing Africa because it's something so common that we do in the West. And yes, it's a solidarity movement, but like you said, it is too easy. And therefore, I think it allows us to, one, perform grief, In a way that I find too easy and too artificial in many ways, I think. And it allows us to remove ourselves from the victims and stand, yes, in solidarity with Paris and France, but I think we are missing the grief that really comes with a tragedy like this, where many of these victims were under the age of 30 and were just going out for a Friday night out, to a concert, to a soccer game, to have a drink with friends and I think by allowing us to perform this solidarity, it really takes away from the genuine suffering that occurred.
0: I agree. And I also think back to my observations this week on Facebook, and a number of people have posted not only articles, but their personal responses. They will write a paragraph or two of their thoughts. And I value that because it's independent thought. And it's someone genuinely trying to engage in the larger conversation, which is what we are trying to do with this podcast episode. And I know that many of those people who wrote such things or shared popular articles for the opinions of others and to, again, forward the discussion were not the same people who were changing their profile pictures. And I would personally rather a world full of people talking and writing and being vulnerable. Maybe you write something that others disagree with, but it's just so neutral in a weird way to make a profile picture because no one can really criticize you for sympathizing with Paris. But again, I would contend you're not really, you're just changing an image. And I also think if we're being honest and maybe a bit cynical, I'm sure that at the shareholders meetings that Facebook holds, they will tell those investing in Facebook, well, we got this many people to change their profile pictures. Look how socially influential Facebook is and therefore increase the financial and economic value of the company and the social network that is Facebook. And I don't think that has anything to do with the genuine grief, the genuine suffering and the genuine issues surrounding these Paris attacks. And I also would like to talk about the connection that Paris has to America, because I don't think it's accidental that we see the red, the white, and the blue of the Paris flag because of the deep relationship that Americans have with France as a country. It's one of our oldest allies, and we share flag colors, of course, as I've researched, red symbolizing courage, revolution, valor, and blood, blue meaning freedom, vigilance, perseverance, justice, and patriotism, and white representing peace, purity, and innocence. and it's not accidental that one of our oldest allies was attacked and we illuminated our state house in those colors and around the world that those colors were shown. Because I think there's a certain stylistic and design simplicity to the French flag that allows it to be so easily transmitted. And I think that's troubling because I'll be honest, if you asked me what Lebanon's flag was, I don't know. And. I acknowledge that that is likely a result of my ignorance, but I also think it's a result of Western-centric schooling and Western-centric thinking that I can break out of. But I do think if there were an event to change your profile picture by layering the Lebanese flag over it, I don't think as many American Facebook friends of mine and Facebook friends of yours would have done so. Do you have thoughts on that?
1: I think you're so right in saying that the US and France are so linked. It's not just the West. I mean, the US derives its education system and military system from the French because when we were developing those institutions, France was at the height of power and Napoleon had really instilled those values into French society. And we saw how powerful and influential they were. And I think what you're pointing to in a huge way, where I don't know the colors of the Lebanese flag either. And it really, for me, evoked a certain amount of victim blaming where we stand in solidarity with France. But with a situation like Beirut, where almost 50 people were killed by ISIS as well, as you mentioned, just a few days before, it's like that tragedy doesn't merit our attention because they are in the thick of it. And that's what's going to happen because they're in the region ISIS inhabits and finds its home base. And therefore, we couldn't even dream of standing in solidarity with them because that's inevitable. And we don't have to involve ourselves in it because it's going to happen regardless. And in Paris, I don't think think we're acknowledging that it is a global city. In French, when people go to Paris, they literally say on va monter à Paris, which means we are going up to Paris. And then when they say they're going to other parts of the country, they literally use the verb descendre, which means to go down. So I think Paris as the city of light is really viewed as impenetrable because of its magical nature. People need to realize that it is no different than a city like Beirut, I'm not saying that Paris doesn't merit the attention we're giving it, but I think people are justified when they say, what about us? And I'll read another quote from this article. It's like, yes, I see your tragedy and I offer you my condolences and sympathy, and I see your tragedy and mine as connected. I don't think we can keep separating the West and the Middle East like we do, and it's very problematic in my mind.
0: I'm glad you bring up connection because, in an article from Think Progress, the cognitive neuroscientist from M i t, Emile Bruneau, said: "It's kind of a fascinating and frustrating phenomenon, the extreme outpouring of empathy toward France and the almost complete lack of empathy toward Beirut. It's definitely true that one of the organizing principles of our psychology, of our brains, is that we're strongly influenced by this perception of in group and out group. And he goes on to say that human empathy is largely driven by whether the victims of harm are in-group or out-group, that is, whether we perceive victims to be similar or different than us, and this could be race, culture, or ideology-based, it all depends on the situation. But it's problematic when Obama says things about human unity and all of humanity, and we don't talk about Beirut and various other attacks that occur all over the world and I want to reference a Rolling Stone article, which says that although the terrorist group behind the attacks in Paris and Beirut was the same, the Western media narrative has been vastly different. In Paris, ISIS attacked the city's progressive youth, Caroline, as you said, massacring dozens enjoying their night out at a concert, a soccer game, and a restaurant. In Beirut, ISIS struck, quote, a Hezbollah stronghold, in the southern suburbs of beirut a poor majority shia area often characterized as a bastion of terrorism in the region the attack was portrayed as little more than strategic punishment for hezbollah's ongoing involvement in the syrian civil war and support of syrian president bashar al-assad's regime which again is a problematic standpoint for anyone to take because innocent civilians don't deserve punishment which i say in air quotes because that's terrorism. It's not punishment. And both events should be viewed as terrorist attacks. And I'm very troubled to learn not only that we haven't spoken about Beirut much as an American culture, but that when it has been referenced, people note it's only referenced minimally because of this perspective.
1: I think it's just what I was saying before, where the media coverage manipulates the us and them dialogue and makes it seem like those in the neighborhood in Beirut either were deserving or had it coming because of their locality in it all. And it is disturbing, I'd say, in a way.
0: And a final aspect of this that I would like to touch on is the connection to World War II and to the era of World War II, because as several journalists noted, this was the largest attack on France since World War II. And I see various connections. One, in the refugee crisis, that America and various other countries are hesitant, if not altogether negligent, towards refugees and those who want to enter in their countries as refugees. And I fear that we might be entering a similar period in which I ISIS, like Hitler's Germany and Hitler's Nazis in the era of World War II, will come to represent the evil and the sole entity of terror and fear and everything bad in the world. And as a humanist, I'm very reluctant to say that every member of ISIS is evil, that they are evil. I will acknowledge that their goals are problematic and the means through which they are pursuing these goals are terrifying and dehumanizing and negative. However, I want to point to the fact that much like those in Nazi Germany, I think there's tremendous economic and psychological persuasion of those members who are recruited into ISIS. And I would encourage and urge, implore even, anyone listening to remember that it's very easy to join certain groups. And often they prey upon your psychological weaknesses. They find out in what areas you lack confidence and promise you, even though it's unrealistic, to give you what you want and to make you a valuable member of society or in any way an influential person. And I just fear what I think is going to come between the world and ISIS in the same way that many countries and nations fought against the Nazis in World War II. And I think it is different, of course, in that they aren't the same entities, they don't seek the same things, but I fear they devalue human life in similar ways. And i find that very troubling but what do you think am i making illusory connections
1: no i just think that when looking at isis it's really easy to say oh they're bombing the rest of the world and all these people and killing all these people and that is immoral because to them it's not to them it's valid they're doing what they think is right and moral and true and what they have been sent here to do by their god so in many ways yes it's absolutely unethical but It's really hard for me to say that it is by their standards immoral because everything they're doing is 100% calculated. And as you say, this will become a huge threat, I think, in years to come and a huge source of fear and violence and contention in the world and its discourse. But I think we need to try to understand ISIS and their worldview rather than just simply responding with violence as well.
0: I agree. I think in many ways, as exemplified by their preparation for Francois Hollande's bombing of their facilities, they anticipate violent retaliation. They are not a stupid group. And I would challenge listeners, especially Western listeners, to consider that they can be both a smart entity and also a gruesome and cruel entity, because I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. And I also believe that dialogue and values of patience and understanding and empathy will solve problems related to ISIS and other geopolitical conflicts because in the past, violence really does lead to more violence, and I think upcoming conflicts with ISIS will necessitate deeper thinking, more critical thinking, and an attempt to understand other cultures, other areas of the world that are different from our own. But I think that's where we will close Caroline, before we say a few things at the very end of the episode, are there aspects of this discussion or of these topics that you would like our audience to consider?
1: As I touched on earlier, I would just really emphasize the need to grieve after this occurrence. And how sad it is for me, honestly, to see news broadcasters and politicians really making this a political issue before people have really had time to process and sit with their sadness and grief. And I find that in all times of grief, any sort of unprocessed grief will generally result in ignorant, unhelpful commentary.
0: I agree, and I encourage our listeners to pursue the complex arguments and avoid commodification of grief and simplification of these events because they involve countless individuals and countless actors and various ideologies and beliefs that I won't claim to understand and I think cannot easily be understood, but for their resolution, their peaceful resolution ideally, must be engaged with on a critical intellectual level. And, of course, as I hope is evident, our thoughts go out to the victims, to their families, all those grieving and suffering in Paris, Beirut, and elsewhere, those suffering from ISIS's attacks and various efforts abroad.
1: And to that end, I'll share a poem that this one columnist shared in his article, and it's a, a poem by a Somali-British poet named Warson Shire. Later that night, I held an atlas in my lap, ran my fingers across the whole world, and whispered, where does it hurt? It answered everywhere, everywhere, everywhere.
0: And we know this is a very present topic. And for many listeners, we suspect it will be a very emotional and troubling topic. So if you want to write to us and share truly anything as private, as personal, as long or as short, please do feel free to share your emotions with us. We would love to be a resource for grieving for those who feel it might be useful. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off.
1: And this is Caroline Borders. We'll see you next time. A tout à l'heure. Et on pense à vous, nos amis parisiens.